we are the unshakables. Well, like I said, you're in for a treat this morning. Um, I am not speaking, and that's on purpose. And so just to let you know a little of our culture and what we've been trying to do as a church is once a month, I, I try not to speak and try to bring in somebody who will speak. And, and primarily for a couple of reasons. The number one reason is that the, the church wouldn't be centered around Ben Chapman, that it would be centered around Jesus. And so that helps give multiple voices on this, on this platform or this stage. And so I'm so thankful for that. But this man who's coming to speak today is a legend. And uh, a legend in my life, I should say. When I planted the church three years ago, Luminous, um, my wife and I, you can only imagine the tension and everything else that happens. And I called this man Nick out of the blue and said, hey, man, I need a coach. I need somebody who's going to coach me and help me. And this man pastored me for a year and a half through the hardships, um, through the thick and thin. And he constantly pointed me back to Jesus and back to my wife. And I'm so indebted to this man. But I'm going to tell you, this morning is going to be a treat for you. He's going to bring something that I believe that will touch your heart. And, and so please engage because it's going to be effective in your life. Will you welcome Nick Kering as he comes up? Come on. Come on. Stand up. Welcome. 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 All right. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you guys. Well, as Ben said, my name is Nick Harang, and I am from what some of you may know as the left coast. I grew up in Oregon, and then for the last 16 years, I've been in Seattle. And uh, just this summer, we moved to Northern California. So um, it's, it's different out there, if you've ever been out there. So it's good to be here in Texas, because Texas is awesome. I mean, just the people are amazing. The food is fantastic and uh, sunshine. That's a really good thing after 16 years in Seattle. So um, my family is unfortunately not able to be with me this morning, but we have a picture. Um, we have my lovely wife, Christy, uh, my four children, Elise, Joel, Eric, and James are age 6, 8, 10, and 12. So we've got our hands full, a lot of fun, and a lot of work, and it's all a great thing. Um, I, as I said, I grew up in Oregon. I grew up in a small town and uh, went to this massive metropolis called Corvallis, Oregon. It has 50,000 people, which when you're from a town of 500 is really, really big because it actually had like a movie theater and a McDonald's. It was like, this is awesome. And my school. And I'm so thankful that that first week walking across the campus, I saw, you know, different booths and different things trying to get my attention and trying to get me to sign up for stuff. But there was a table from the campus ministry from every nation campus right there on my college campus and they honestly looked a little bit too friendly and I was going to kind of going to do like one of those wide kind of loop arounds away from them because I don't know those guys look a little weird um, but my my friend was with me and we saw it said win a free cd player and this was so long ago that that was kind of a cool new thing and uh, so I was like I need one of those I'll, I'll go fill out their survey and here I am today because I got in a bible study and somebody showed up in my dorm every week Thursday night put up with my awkwardness and unbelief and all that and led me to Jesus. I'd grown up in church my whole life, but I didn't have a personal relationship with God. I thought, be a good person, pick whatever path you want, that's what matters. I didn't know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life until someone left their comfort zone, showed up on my campus, and brought the kingdom of God into my orbit. So can we just give a hand to Austin and Victoria and all of you who are reaching out to the campuses here in Seattle and to Megan? Thank you so much, you guys. You know, as a young Christian, um, 
I was blessed to be put into this church not too far from the campus, and um, we had an amazing pastor, great Bible teacher. Uh, he's in our Every Nation Church in Nashville now as the executive pastor. His name is Bruce Fiddler. I'm just indebted for his teaching and his leadership and all the things that God poured into my life through him. But my experience as a, as a new Christian was sometimes like a guest speaker would come in, and I'd think, whoa, that guy is amazing. And I would think, man, whoever's in his church is really lucky. Like, I'm lucky with Bruce, but they're really lucky because they got so-and-so. And I don't know if you've ever thought that way, but I did. And since then, my, t- my thinking has changed on that a little bit. My thinking has changed on that a little bit, and that is because I've gone to some Every Nation conferences and met the people that went to so-and-so's church, and they said, oh, your pastor is Bruce Fiddler? You are so lucky. He's amazing. And I'm like, wait a minute. I was thinking the same thing about your pastor. And the thing is, is that all the leaders that God has given us are a gift to the church. They're all such a blessing. And just if you get to know them and you see some of the gaps or some of the things that are maybe not as strong as the guest speaker who comes in or whatever, sometimes you oh, man, you know, I wish. But honestly, I want to say that the heroes aren't the guest speaker that comes in and delivers a great word and then leaves, um, because that's kind of easy to look good for about 45 minutes if you have to. Um, It's the person who has been called by Jesus to uproot from where they were, to pay an extraordinary price, to move their family, plant a stake in the ground and say, I am not budging, but I am going to plant my feet and see Jesus plant a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. So I just want to say you guys are blessed because I've gotten to know Ben and Brandy over this last few years and got to spend some more time with them this weekend in person, which was so fun. And they are just a gift. I love their hearts, just huge hearts, the hearts for you, the hearts for the city, the hearts for the campus. It's just amazing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it'll be on your screen. It's an important verse. Paul was the apostle who planted the church in Thessalonica. He was only there for a few months and he had to go. And when he wrote to them, he didn't say, hey, guys, remember me and remember how awesome I am because I planted your church. And you go, he he didn't talk about himself. He says, here's something really important. You need to esteem the people God has placed as your shepherds and your leaders. He says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. So they're, they're your shepherds, they're your exhorters and your champions and your encouragers, your pastors and leaders. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of the work that they've been called to do. I mean, it's, it's a joy to have a day like today where you see someone get baptized. It's a joy to, you know, celebrate the high times. But man, church planning, it's work too. I mean, it's some serious work. And so it says, hold them in the highest regard. Think really, really highly of them because of their work. And then get along with one another, love one another. So Apostle Paul didn't say it this way, but in modern parlance, the way we would say this in one short phrase is hashtag love your pastors. Hashtag love your pastors. So I want to invite Alyssa to come up. If Alyssa's here, I think she's got something for us. I'm going to hand you this mic. Thank you. I don't know if that's on. Maybe Ben, do you need to turn that on? Or you got it? Okay. Um, we just want to take a moment um, to finish thanking our pastors. I know you guys have been putting um, all these amazing things in these boxes. Jessica did a, oh, an amazing job of gathering the gift cards and and the note cards and all that. So we want to bring Brandy, Ben, please come up here, as well as Austin and Victoria, please. And you guys would just come up here. You can stand on this side. These have been over the the past month. Um, So this is Austin's. And um, the Luminous Church color is for you guys. there's so many things in there just blessing you guys on 
how we love you, how much, literally, we are so thankful for your sacrifice. Every single person sitting in this seat would not be here without you guys. And as husband and wife, you know how hard it is to sacrifice for the one that you love. And then this is your occupation, so it's even harder. Um, and so we just wanted, we want to honor you as a married couple, as a family in this church that's planted, that gives, that loves you guys. Um, and then we also wanted to just, as a community, say everything that you do never goes unnoticed. Everything that you do, the hours that you spend here, the Bible studies, the planning, the save the dates, the digital. I was just thinking the other day, I'm like, man, not even a year, was it a year ago? We were, we were in a movie theater and now we're like in this awesome building with sound things and a thing to dunk people in. And it's just amazing. Nobody, nobody does that, but it's because of the calling that God has on your life, Ben, on your life, Brandy, what Luminous has um, for San Antonio. And we're just so honored and blessed to be a part of it. So we hope you love your stuff. I don't know what's in there. I hope somebody gave them a car. I don't know, but if there's keys, someone might have lost them. I don't know if I need to get those back. Um, but we just want to say thank you, and um, we love you. Let's pray. All right. Please extend your hands before I get rebuked again. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for our church. We thank you for our leaders, God. Father God, we thank you for the sacrifices that they make every day. Um, but God, we thank you for waking up every morning saying yes. Um, God, yes to you, yes to serve your people. Um, yes, to, to go out and just try to represent you in the best way possible, Lord. God, I pray that you will honor them in every way. God, I pray that they would go without want, without need, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would just be sufficient in their lives. God, we love you, Lord, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, well, glad we got to do that this morning. Well, today we're continuing in a series that the church has been in called The Unshakables. And the premise for the series is that everybody is building their life on something. And how are you building your life? On what are you building your life? Are you building your life on just the, the sand of your feelings and of current opinions and of trends and all that? Or are you building your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his word? We're going through a number of topics in this series, and the topic that we're talking about today is building a life, an unshakable life, involves having a heart of passionate devotion to the God who created us. This morning, we're talking about this concept of devotion and before we jump into devotion to God, I just want to point out that really devotion is something that it's all over our culture. Now, we may not use that word devotion. We might use a different word like gung-ho or passionate or into it or all about it. But there's all sorts of expressions of devotion in the world around us today. So I'm going to ask for a little audience participation. I want you to kind of popcorn talk back to me. But what are some things that you, either yourself or people around you and you know, culture or just your family or neighborhood, what are some things that we as people in the 21st century are passionate about, gung-ho about, devoted to? Technology, education, luminous, sports, coffee. Talking my language, 16 years in Seattle, I bleed coffee. Career. Astros. As of last month, yes, you are now passionate about the Astros. Um, yeah, so all sorts of expressions, right, of, of passion or devotion, commitment. 
There's a uh, couple friends of mine in our church in Seattle that um, every Tuesday night, they clear their schedule, they bust out the box of Kleenex and the snacks, they turn their phones on mute, and they watch This Is Us. I mean, they are passionate, they are devoted, they are not messing it. If you try to mess up their Tuesday, you're messing with the wrong thing. Um, My 10-year-old son, uh, he was given a a hat three years ago by an uncle, a Seattle Seahawks hat, and he is just a a very devoted fan. That thing is just falling apart, like literally, just because he's worn it every single day. It's so dirty. I got an email from him yesterday, like, Dad, I got my new Seahawks hat in the mail. It's awesome. I'm like, good, because the other one was starting to smell. But he was, he's a devoted Seahawks fan. And then you got people, you know, going to Star Trek conventions or, you know, this, that, the other. You've got just all sorts of expressions of devotion and commitment or passion, things that we prioritize and orient our lives around. And then there's those unique individuals that you just say their name and it just conjures up, yeah, that's devotion. Say the name Mother Teresa. And you think, wow, there's somebody who devoted her entire life to serving the poorest of the poor. He changed the world. Think of Nelson Mandela, devoted his life to trying to break up an unjust system of apartheid in South Africa. And I would submit to you this morning that really your heart, my heart, the human heart is wired by God for devotion. You were created by the Creator to be a devoted person. And that devotion is going to find an outlet somewhere, usually multiple streams of devotion going on in any one season of our life, but there's going to be one supreme devotion that you have. And I would submit to you this morning that if you will orient your life in such a way that that supreme object of your affection and your devotion is the God who created you, then that is going to give you an unshakable life. That is going to give you a life of growing, deepening satisfaction and growing strength in the Lord, no matter what storms of life may come. So this morning, I want to share with you three simple points. I want to tell you where we're going, and then we're going to go there, and then I'm going to tell you where we went. Um, So step number one, we're going to talk about that you were created for a life of devotion to God. Number two, we're going to talk about where does devotion really come from? And number three, how to grow in devotion. So let's start with number one. I've already said this, that the human heart is wired for devotion, for commitment, to be passionate, to be wholehearted. And um, this is just, it's just the human wiring that God made us with. And we don't work right if we're not expressing that devotion. Have you ever met somebody who's got no interest, no passion, no, you know, devotion at all? There's a word for that. It's called boring, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of flat, right? Um, and then you meet people that are super into something and you're like, whoa, guys, settle down about fly fishing like my brother or whatever. But it's kind of interesting. It's like, wow, you're really into that. Uh, but we're created to be able to enjoy the good gifts of creation and have fun with sports and a good TV show now and then, whatever. Those things are fine and good, but really our human heart is wired most of all to find its resting place and its devotion in a relationship with God. Mark 12, 30 says this, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And you can read that as a command, and sometimes it can kind of feel a little heavy, like, oh, man, i got to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. It is a command, but more than that, it's actually a promise. God says, I, God is love. I am love. I love you. I created you to be my child that I pour my love into, and I have a plan for your life, and that is to cultivate in you a reciprocation of my love pouring into you to come back to me where you would be a wholehearted lover of God. And you see, that is where your life is heading, is 
one day we will stand before our king our father our savior and our friend one day all sin will be removed all the brokenness all the hurts all the stuff of this world will just fall away and one day we'll fully taste and see and experience the fullness of the love of god and as a result we'll be able to fully give that back to him we'll be able to fully respond with wholehearted love and devotion to god this is this is where your life is heading and so i I'd submit to you this morning that if this is what God has created us for, is to love God with all that we are, then the more that we kind of cooperate with that agenda in this lifetime, the more we experience our true destiny, our true joy, our true fulfillment. Augustine said it this way. He said, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. He's talking about devotion. He said, there's no other passion, there's no other devotion, there's no other resting place for the human heart greater than resting in the knowledge of the love of God for us and giving that back to Him. Point number two, how do we cultivate a life of devotion, though? How do we grow in, sorry, no, point number two, where does devotion come from? Where does it authentic, lasting devotion come from? Well, let me start by saying where it doesn't come from. And so I'm going to tell you how I would have preached this message as a, you know, brand new young buck campus minister many years ago. Lucky you, I was not invited to preach back then here um, or anywhere. Uh, because the way I would have done it is, okay, yeah, what well, Bible says we need to love God with all our heart. You know, we need to get in the Word. We need to pray. We need to be committed. We need to be radical for Jesus. And so that's what I would have preached. You know, do this and read your Bible, pray, be committed, be disciplined. You know, and if it's not working for you, just try harder. I mean, I wouldn't quite set it that way, but that would have been probably the takeaway. It's like, oh man, he's right. That's what the Bible says. I better just suck it up and try harder. Thankfully, uh, for me and lucky for you, um, I've grown a little bit since then, and I've come to see that while discipline is it's important and commitment is super valuable, and I love seeing people radical for Jesus, all those things are valuable. But that was based on the premise that devotion is something that I find deep within myself, and I just muster it up and I give it to God. And now I realize that, you know, devotion actually doesn't start with me. It actually starts with the God who loved me first. That's what John says in 1 John 4, 19. He says that we actually love God because he loved us first. Devotion doesn't begin with my love for God. It begins with God's love for me. Devotion doesn't come from trying to love God more. It grows as I understand and as I experience God's love for me in greater and greater capacity. This is a way relationships work right we love the people who love us this is how life starts for everybody or supposed to anyway you're born you can't do anything except for poop and eat and yet everybody thinks you're amazing and they love you even strangers like oh look at that cute baby can i hold your baby like no you can't this is my baby but you are just lovable and loved before you've done a single thing that's god isn't that interesting that god created the foundation of life on planet earth that your first job as a human being is to receive grace. Just receive unconditional love. This is the way you're, you're wired to grow into health. And babies that don't get that, babies that don't get that unconditional love and that joy and mom and dad smiling back at them, it, on a brain level, your brain just doesn't develop right. You don't grow into as healthy of a person as you could have emotionally and all of that. But this is the way relationships work, is that we like the people that we think like us. Have you ever met somebody and talked to them for a little bit, and then you walk away, and you're like, man, they are awesome. And then somebody says, well, what's awesome about them? You're like, they were just really nice to me. They just asked me questions and 
seem to care about me. It's like, well, what did you learn about them? Oh, we just talked about me the whole time, but I really like them, you know? <laughs> I don't know if you've done that, I have. But we tend to like the people that like us because that's the way our heart works is we reciprocate. We receive love, we give love. Somebody likes me, I tend to just like them back. So the foundation for cultivating a lifestyle of devotion to God begins with, and it grows with, experiencing God's love for us. There's a number of scriptures all throughout the Bible that show this awesome truth of how much God loves us. You know, sometimes people say, oh, that God of the Old Testament, I don't, you know, he's kind of mean, but Jesus is a God of love and grace. Well, I hate to break it to you, but the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're actually going to start with just a couple of verses in the Old Testament that show God's amazing heart of love for you. Jeremiah 31.3 says that I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I've drawn you to myself. You wouldn't have found me any other way, but I started just blessing you and showing you my loving kindness, and I drew you into my family. Zephaniah 3.17 is just outstanding. It says, for the Lord your God will take delight in you with gladness. Picture the mom with the baby. This is like God's face just delighting in you with gladness. He'll rejoice over you with joyful songs. This is God's heart for you. He's a father that delights in his children. He's a God who seeks you and draws you and loves you to himself before you even know what's happening. And then I love Isaiah 62.5. It says, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. You ever been to one of those weddings where the guy is up front? He's like, man, I'm just so lucky to be here. She's just so beautiful. I just love her so much. I mean, I mean he's just really excited because he can't believe how blessed and lucky he is to marry this amazing lady that God brought into his life. Well, that's what it says that Jesus feels about having us as his bride. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride of Christ as his people. It says he rejoices over us just the same way that a, a husband rejoices over his wife. And when you experience this love in your heart, when you believe it and receive it, and it you know, kind of goes from here down to here, it changes you, and it elicits a response of unshakable devotion. I just read an article recently about a woman in India from a Hindu background who came to faith in Christ. And as a result, her husband kicked her out of the house, forbade her from seeing her children ever again, if he could help it. She's got no job, no house, no family. She has lost everything. And somebody said to her, it's like, man, is it worth it just to change your religion and, you know, like to lose that much? And she goes, how could I not be willing to lose all of that in light of what he has done for me, in light of who he is and what he has done for me? I mean, I read that and I was just convicted. I'm like, man, now that's love. That's the, this woman understands the sacrifice that Jesus did at the cross for her in a way that's far beyond my seminary, seminary degree has prepared me to understand. His love has changed her heart, and she has an unshakable devotion because of it. So I think we've established that true devotion, lasting devotion, doesn't start with our love for God, but it starts with God's love for us. Um, but just because devotion doesn't, you know, doesn't come from us initially, it doesn't mean that there's not something we can do to grow it. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how to grow devotion. Have you ever asked yourself, and you probably haven't asked Ben, but you might have asked yourself or maybe a, a buddy, you know, man, if, if God loves us, if Jesus paid it all, like, why do I have to do anything? 
Like, why do I have to show up to church if I don't feel like it? Why do I have to read my Bible? Why do I have to pray or give or serve or show up at small group or whatever? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. I, I have at times past. And I've actually got some good news for you this morning. I'm going to make Ben real nervous right now, but the, the good news is you don't. You don't have to show up for church ever again for God to love you. You don't have to pray ever again, read your Bible ever again, give another penny to God or missions ever again. And you know what? God will still love you with all his heart. Some of you actually are like, no, he won't. I, seriously, right now, I, I know what you're thinking. You're like, no, he won't really love me as much. Unconditional love means love without conditions. And God is love. He can't not be who he is. Now, that's the good news is that salvation is absolutely free and it's not contingent upon my behavior and my performance. But the bad news is, and actually, I don't want to call it bad news because it's not bad news. It's actually good news too. It's a reality is, is that while you enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, the way you grow in a deepening experience of love and fellowship and friendship with God, that's going to only come through regular investments in that relationship. I got married in December of 2001. I've got the ring to prove it. I got a piece of paper somewhere from the state of California to prove it. Um, the contract, the covenant, it's in place. But the only reason why I have a happy marriage, a healthy marriage, is because we prioritize our relationship. We make it a point to communicate face-to-face, put the kids to bed, shut off, maybe watch some TV and then shut it off and then talk and face-to-face. And we make time to go places together and ask about each other and care. We communicate back and forth. We give and receive love and care and all of those things. And if we didn't, we'd still be married, hopefully, um, but it wouldn't be very healthy and it wouldn't be very satisfying and it wouldn't be very deep. It's just the way relationships work that if you want a deepening relationship, you position yourself to receive it. I was um, staying in the hotel last night, and it was kind of a big shower. And so I turn on the water, and I step in, and I'm not getting wet. And then, oh, if I stand here, I'll get wet. If I stand here, I don't. And that's kind of the way that these things that we call devotional habits are. God's love is always pouring out towards you. His voice is always speaking words of truth, words of life, words of love, words of guidance. But you can stand to the side and it won't hit you. It'll just flow right on by. Or you can position yourself, man, I want to drink in from what my father's saying to me. I want to receive God's love for me. He loves me, but I want to experience it by opening these love letters and letting him speak to me. I want to show up at small group, not because I feel like it tonight, because that's I'll tell you, man, I led a small group in my house like for a zillion years on Tuesday nights. I'd be like, Tuesday, I'd be driving home from the office like, I'm tired. I don't want to go to small group. I'm going to skip. And I'm like, oh, wait, I'm hosting it. I can't skip. And I'm a pastor. I can't skip. Like, I'm trapped both ways. But I'm so glad because every Tuesday night when it was over, I'm like, oh, that was really good. It was so great praying for so-and-so. It was great catching up with so-and-so. And man, what so-and-so said was great. Man, I'm telling you, if, if I let my Christianity be led by my feelings, I would not have a very deeper, satisfying relationship with God. But I've learned that while God's love for me is apart from what I do, I can do certain things to hear his voice. I can do certain things to experience his love. I can position myself under the shower of his grace through these means of grace that we just, sometimes we call them devotions. Oh, I'm going to go spend some time in devotion. What are you doing? I'm reading my Bible, or I'm turning on some worship, or I'm praying, or some silence and solitude. That's how we do this. And there's lots of different ways, and we'll get to that at the very end, um, how God might be calling you to that. But God is, God is love, and he loves us with this amazing love. John 15, 9, Jesus said just an outstanding verse that still boggles my mind. He said, as the Father has loved me, 
with that same measure and intensity of love, that's how much I love you. Wait a minute. Doesn't the Father love Jesus like super much, like eternally, infinitely much? Doesn't he love me like kind of less because I'm not quite Jesus? No, you're a child of God. Now, he is God. You're not, but you are a child of God. And he says, you're a part of my family. He's the father of all creation. And once you say yes to him, you experience a little bit. And one day you'll experience fully the fullness of the love he has for Jesus. That's amazing. He says the same thing in John 17. He says, as the fathers loved me, so the father has loved you. It's just amazing. I don't fully get it. But the very next, uh, John 15, 9 continues. It says, now remain in my love. Some of your translations will say, now abide in my love. The word just means to, to, to park in, to camp out in, to kind of just settle down and be at home in the love of God. Now, how do we do that? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because I'm prepared to tell you this morning. I even got a slide for it. The next verse, John 15, 10 says, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. You want to live a life kind of dwelling and settle down in the love of God? Well, keep my commands. It's like, well, man, that sounds like a killjoy. Just, you know, find a bunch of commands and go do it. Well, it really was a light bulb turn on moment for me when I came to see that every command in the Bible is a relational command. Every command in the Bible promotes relationship, either promotes my love for God or protects my love for God. It promotes my love for people or it protects. When it says don't steal, why does it say that? Because you have some really nice stuff that I could actually use. It says, it says, don't steal. Why? Well, because you're not going to feel very loved by me if I steal. Don't lie to one another, but tell the truth. Well, why? Well, on and on it goes. Even those obscure food laws in the Old Testament that were for a time, and now they're done away because Christ made all foods clean. Even those weird ones in the Old Testament, like, why is this one there? If you study and go back, it was a way to express love for God. It's like, God, we're not going to be like those other nations that do X, Y, Z with the food to sacrifice to idols. We're going to set ourselves apart and say, you set the limits, God. You draw the boundaries. And as we stay in that place, as we obey your commands, God, we're expressing our trust in you, that your way is the right way. And God says, man, I feel so loved when my kids obey me. I've got four kids, as I said, and I love them on their good days, and I love them on their bad days. But let me just tell you, when they, make, when they say, yes, Daddy, I'll do it, that's just, man, that's just more fun. And part of me is thinking, man, man, I should go get you a really nice snack right now, you know? It's like, I love them the same, even on their bad days, but it's just, we get to have more fun together. Like, man, well, let's get in the car and go down to the lake, or let's go do something. But if they're acting out crazy all the time, it's like, time out for you, time out for you. You're going to write me a five-page essay about why we don't break things like that? No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. Um, I, and then at night, after a really bad day, I, you know, my wife and I will go in there after this exhausted and, you know, refereeing all day, and then we'll go in, we'll see him sleep, and we're like, oh, aren't they so precious? I just love them so much. And like, wait, two hours ago, I just couldn't wait for him to go to bed, but you look at them and you just love them because they're made in your image. They're your kids. You love them. You love them all the time, but man, it sure is more fun when they start maturing. They start saying, yeah, dad, I get it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abide in your love. I'm going to um, obey because I love you and I'm going to walk in these things that you're calling me to. <clears throat> Some people, you know, when they hear this, like, you know, read your Bible, pray, this and the other, they say, well, you know, I only want to do it if I'm feeling like it. Because, you know, if I'm not feeling like it, then, and I do it, then I'm kind of being a hypocrite. I'm, I'm not being authentic. I'm not really following my heart. And I just want to pop that this morning because, honestly, if I only read my Bible or only prayed or only showed up to small group or whatever when I was supposed to, um, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be deepening, my, deepening in my walk with God in the same way. 
It's like, but man, I just, man, I just need to follow my heart. And I just, I'm just not feeling that this morning. It's like, listen, man, if I followed my heart everywhere it told me to go, I would be in jail right now. Like, my heart has told me to go some crazy places in a really bad day, and then the next day I'm like, oh, dear God, I'm so thankful I didn't do that. But my heart was really telling me to go there. But as a 19-year-old college student, I came across Jesus Christ as Lord, and I said, I'm going to follow your heart and not mine anymore. I'm going to follow your word in your ways because you've got a much better heart than I do. And my heart is deceitful above all things. I can't even know it. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to follow him and his heart so much better. Some people, you know, they feel like things are a little legalistic. If you're reading your Bible too much, like, oh, don't be too hardcore. But, you know, if you see a couple on their honeymoon, I think we've got a picture of a couple on their honeymoon. If they're spending time together, it's, you don't call that legalism, do you? You call that love, <laughs> right? You're like, we found each other. We got this time to go to the beach. We love each other. We're married. This is exciting. And no one has to tell them. Now, on your honeymoon, make sure you guys have some fun. Make sure you go out and do, spend time together. No one has to tell them that because that's just the overflow of this newfound love that's just bubbling up in their lives. But let me tell you, if they're wise, they'll institutionalize some of those things that just naturally happen in that week or two off of life when they get back to jobs and kids and school and life and all those other things that are happening. They'll say, you know what? We're going to prioritize our relationship. Let's make time to talk to one another. Let's make time to pray with one another. Let's make time to have fun with one another. If they leave that to chance, chances are the relationship won't be deepening as much, amen? I don't know about you, but we got another picture of another couple. I made a decision as a, as a young, uh, all the girls are like, oh, that's what I did. Because this, this isn't my grandparents, but this is what my mom's parents were like. They were married 60 years, and they grew up, my, lived through the Depression, so they never spent money. They had a lot of it by the time they were old. They just never wanted to spend it just in case the next Great Depression came. And uh, so they would go to the mall on Sundays. They would just, you know, shuffle and they would buy one donut each, and they would sit, and they would just talk and people watch. And I just thought, that's the cutest thing ever. I want to buy something healthier because I'm from Seattle. But, you know, when I'm old, I just want to take my wife to the mall and just hold her hand and just, just be together, right? And you don't get that kind of relationship without a lifestyle of devotion, a lifestyle of orienting your life and your habits so that you prioritize what's most important. Okay, so trying to wrap this up here. What, what about you this morning? How's your devotion? Are you allowing God to speak to you and tell you his word and his truth and his love and who you really are? Are you pouring out your heart back to him in prayer and worship? And are you letting the people around you define you and call out what's best in you in your small group and Sundays? I know for me, um, you know, this stroke, you know, thing of devotion and making time for the word and prayer and all that in my personal devotions, which isn't the only way, but it's, it's a key way. Um, you know, sometimes you're doing well, sometimes you're not. As a, as a young campus minister, I went to a pastor's conference in Seattle, and at one point the speaker said, how many of you pastors and leaders, you know, struggle with consistency in your, you know, quiet times? And I thought, oh man, guilt and shame, like here I go, just barely raising my hand just a little bit, because um, I thought I was probably the only one, and like almost every hand in the room went up. I'm like, oh, thank God, I'm not alone. Thank God, all these other pastors struggle too. Um, it's a fight. It's a fight, but it's a fight that's worth fighting for. And when you fall off and you haven't read it for a while, you haven't prayed for a while, haven't shown up for a while, you know, don't let guilt or shame keep you out. I was like, well, what the heck? I'm already this far. I might as well. No, 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 no. Come back. Come back. Get back in that Bible. Get back to, to fellowship. Let God tell you who you are. Let God's word and God's people tell you who you are, and you'll be growing in devotion. There's some amazing promises that I just want to 
share here towards the end. And James 4, 8 says this. It says, if you will draw near to God, God will draw near to you. If you seek God, you're going to find him. If you get close to God, just however you can, say, God, I'm hungry. I'm coming. Here I am. You may not have a, an amazing mountain high that day, but God came close to you, whether you felt it or not, and you will see the ripple effects eventually. Galatians 6, 8, there were a lot of farmers back then, so it's a farming analogy Paul uses. He says, whoever sows to please the Spirit is going to reap God's powerful, eternal kind of life at work in you. You sow 10 seeds, you don't get 10 plants. You get, well, you might get 10 plants, but at the top of that plant, you've got just a bursting ear of corn or wheat or whatever with tons of multiplied seed. You can't outgive God. And then I love Psalm 17. It says this, it says, I call on you, my God, for you will hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. That's a great prayer to pray. If you're like, man, that Pastor Nick guy's talking about, you know, love doesn't begin with me to God, it begins with God to me. Well, God, show me the wonders of your great love. You pray that every day for a week and just look, look at your life and just see how God answered that, how he showed you how special you are to him. <clears throat> Jesus is devoted to you. He was willing to pay the ultimate price to remove any and every barrier that was keeping you from intimacy with him. He loves us with an undying love and not only does he love you, but he likes you. So here at the end, we're just about done. I want to do something, maybe it's a little bit different for some of you, but if you have a writing utensil and a piece of paper, you got your bulletin or whatever, you can pull that out. If you have a phone and you want to pull out a note app or just send yourself an email, just pre be prepared to write. We're going to do something a little different. God loves you, but God loves everybody, so sometimes that doesn't feel that special. God likes you. God really likes you. And so we're going to put up a question here, and I'm going to give you about 30 seconds of silence, and we're going to just ask Jesus this question. We're going to say, Jesus, what is something you like about me? Me. And the first thing that pops into your head, don't overanalyze it. Don't wait for thunder from heaven. Just the first thing that pops in your head, the first idea, John 10, 10, Jesus said, or John 10, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So if you're his sheep, we're going to just trust him to speak to you, so you're going to write that down. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to give you about 20 more seconds. Jesus, what's something you like about me? Write that down as soon as it comes into your mind. Does anybody want to be so bold as to share what first came into their mind. Can you say it louder? Jesus likes the fact that you're unafraid. I love that. Anybody else? He loves your enthusiasm. Brother, I saw you in the drums this morning. I love your enthusiasm too. Awesome. Anybody else? You're strong. He loves the fact that he made you strong. I love that. Okay, here's our last question. Jesus, what is one way I can build my friendship with you? Whatever comes to your mind, just jot it down.
Anybody want to tell me what came to mind? Maybe just a couple of you. What's one way he's inviting you to deepen your friendship with them? Speak to him. Mm -hmm. Listen to him. Good. Mm, wow. Don't give him your leftovers. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Well, at the end of his life, a very old man named the Apostle John wrote these words for us in 1 John 4. He says, and so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. My prayer for you this morning is that you would cultivate a growing awareness of God's incredible love for you. And as you do so, that God would stir up in you a response of loving him back in the ways that he would lead you to. As you uh, think about those two things that popped into your head, um, the best thing you could do now would, if we had time, I'd have you do it, but we don't, um, would be to share with somebody. Share with somebody today over lunch or out in the lobby or at your small group this week. It's like, yeah, I don't know if it was God or not, but this is what came to mind. Um, again, Jesus seemed to believe that we could hear his voice. That's why he said in John 10, it's like, my sheep know my voice. And when we just say, Jesus, what do you think about me? Or Jesus, how are you calling me to build a friendship with you? That first thought that comes to mind, more often than not, especially if it gives you peace or has that ring of truth when you share it with somebody, that's the Lord speaking to you and just saying, yeah, I love you. I like you. And I want to spend some time with you. So I'm going to pray for you this morning and hand it back to Pastor Ben. Father, we're thankful that God, while you are true, while you are holy, while you are just, while you are all powerful, Lord, you are at the center, love. You are a father. You are a friend. God, we're so thankful, Lord, that you have brought us into family, your forever family, God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Lord, my prayer for my friends this morning, God, is that you would pour out your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom you sent. And Lord, that as a response, Lord, we would simply be able to just give that back to you in ways that deepen our friendship with you, deepen our worship and adoration of you, deepen our fellowship with you and with one another. Lord, we thank you for your great devotion to us. In Jesus' name, amen.